to 53. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When we had led them out of, to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them all. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. The word of our Lord. Thank you, everybody. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do give you thanks that you have uh, spoken to us through the mouths and hearts of children. Continue to speak to us by the agency and the power of your Holy Spirit that we might come to a deeper knowledge and a clearer obedience to you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Children's Sunday. Uh, one of the things I like to make uh, sure, at least in my own head, is that when I hear cliché, uh, I want to make sure I'm understanding what that cliché is really saying. And so with this, you know, with the children's sermon happening or children's uh, Sunday happening, uh, one of the clichés that will roll off the tongue fairly easily and quickly is that the future of the church belongs to the Old people, right, because it seems to me that if we're trusting the future of the church to children, there's a, I understand what's being said, but there's a bit of irresponsibility there, that in fact the church is in the hands of hopefully some mature people and some uh, adults, some grown-ups, and so to just say that the future of the church belongs to children is to kind of abrogate responsibility, that we have some responsibility as grown-ups, as old people, to, uh, to promote the, the church, to, if you will, kind of crass maybe, maybe to sell the church, we really want to say that, to promote it, but we'll come back to that. And so um, what I would like to do this morning is make sure we understand the fundamentals, the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, I think sometimes we can get kind of lost in church on, on things that are not central, and, and so today I really want to look at things that are central, basic, to uh, being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing I want to say today, or at least begin today, is that the basic biblical understanding is that there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of man, or the kingdom of the world, or the kingdom of evil. That there are two spiritual kingdoms, and we as, as people are caught between the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and, and the kingdom of man, or the kingdom of this world, or the kingdom of evil. And every kingdom, whatever kingdom we're talking about, whether we're talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the world, the United States, Canandaigua, whatever kingdom, all kingdoms have three basic things that we need to keep in mind. 
The first basic is that all kingdoms have some kind of doctrine. Now, I understand when uh, people are trying to find excuses not to come to church, which is, you know, a fun game to play. They, I, the one I hear is, well, I would go to church, except, you know, there's all that doctrine. Well, the kingdom of God is larger than doctrine, but doctrine is part of it. I mean, it's like the Constitution of the United States. It's part of who we are. And if you really want to know something about the kingdom of this country that we live in, you really ought to know something about the Constitution because it's applicable whether you know it or not. And so the kingdom of God has some basic doctrine that's really helpful to understand if you're going to know something about living in the kingdom of God. So you have doctrine is the first thing. Rules are the second thing. Every kingdom has some rules. Now again, if you're looking for reasons not to come to church, this is a good one. I'd go to church, but all they ever talk about is rules. Well, the kingdom is bigger rules, but there's rules. It's kind of like in the kingdom of Canandaigua. There are building codes. You're aware of this, right? You can't just be building anything you want, wherever you want, however you want. You better know the codes, because if you don't know the rules, you're going to pay the price a little bit down the line. There are rules, the Ten Commandments. Now, I know most people follow maybe three, four at best, but they're all applicable, and there's a price to pay if you don't follow the rules. So every kingdom has doctrine, every kingdom has rules, and every kingdom has a head of state. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what that means. He's the head of state. So, basic, fundamental stuff. There are two, two spiritual kingdoms, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of this world. Now, to move on, to advance a little bit, we are, as human beings, essentially, essentially what we are is that we are spiritual beings, we are essentially spiritual beings that have been embodied in flesh. Now, I think instinctively we know that, but in modernity we reverse that. We say we're not essentially spiritual beings with embodiment in flesh. What we say in modernity is that we are essentially physical beings that have a little aspect of spirituality to us. But that's to get things backwards. Now, let me first of all say that I think instinctively we know this. We know by instinct that we are essentially spiritual beings, and if we don't follow God, the Spirit, we're going to make up stuff. So, for example, I'm going to kind of focus on uh, teenagers, young adults, this illustration might be wrong. I, I gotta tell you, I didn't actually Google it uh, to, to verify it, because I know if it's on the internet, it's verified. But um, I think this is true. I'm pretty sure this is true. I'm pretty sure this is true. That, okay, guys, teens, you, you listening? That every movie that has been produced in the last 20 or 25 years, and every book that has been published in the last 20 or 25 years, every single one, that has a target audience of young adults or children or, or teens, everyone, without exception, has a vampire in it. Is, is that right? Or ghosts, or ghost watchers, or ghost busters, or something, right? Now, okay. Instinctively, we know that there's something more. There's a larger spiritual world. Now, the, the biblical worldview is that we are essentially spirit, Paul says, St. Paul says, we are encapsulated in this tent, in 2 Corinthians, and the tent wears out eventually. But what we've done in modernity is we've reversed that, 
and said that we're not essentially spiritual beings. Remember in the Bible begins, we walk in the garden, the cool, with God, essentially in spiritual union with each other. But now we've, we've reversed that and say we are essentially physical beings that have this little aspect of spirituality and we try to fill that in as best we can. Now, here's the problem. If we are essentially physical beings, which is the, you know, the worldview, the kingdom of this world, then, and see how often you hear this, even in the next week, you're going to hear it, that since we're essentially physical, we have physical needs that are only natural. I'm going to come back. And those physical needs that are natural, after all, must be met. Rather than spiritual world, the biblical worldview, we are spiritual be beings with appetites that need to be disciplined. Do you hear the difference? In the world, we are physical beings that have needs that are only natural. Can I come back to that, by the way? Can I kind of cross the line of decency for a moment? Every once in a while, people, you know, get on, it's all natural, so it must be good. I'll come back to that next week, which is uh, Pentecost and how old creation has fallen. Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's good. Can I cross that boundary a little bit? Cow manure. <laughs> I don't want that on my dinner plate. Do you hear what I'm saying? You don't get more natural than that. But since we're physical beings, we have physical needs, because it's natural, that must be met. No. We are spiritual beings that have appetites that need to be disciplined. And if we don't, then it's, it's more than just a little mistake that we make occasionally. And in the world, how do you get over mistakes? It's just, oh, don't worry about it. It's, you know, you're forgiven. It's just a little mistake. In the, in the biblical worldview, when, when we sin, ooh, maybe I'm going too far here. Maybe I'll offend somebody. When we sin, it's not just like, ah, forget about it. Don't worry about it. It's little tiny steps into the pit of hell. There are consequences to sin. And so we have the kingdom of this world, which we participate in because we're in, but there's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, the other spiritual reality, is prior, it's more powerful, it's victorious, and there's a few things we need to say in terms of the gospel, the good news, about what the kingdom of God is. Three R words I want to talk about because I need to remember stuff. So three R words about what the kingdom of God is all about. You still with me? Relationship. That God is in relationship with every person everywhere, whether they know it or not. God is prior. God makes the first move. While we were yet sinners, even so Christ died for us. That God in Christ is in relationship with us. When we respond, we come into a saving relationship with God. And everything we do is by way of re response to God who makes the first move. So prayer is response to the gracious invitation of God. Loving other people, like the children's sermon, is response to God's love for us. So the first word we need to know about the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God is that God is in relationship with us. The second word we need to hear, a second R word, is redemption. That in fact, to be forgiven, we need to be redeemed. In other words, to be forgiven, God just doesn't say, don't worry about it, it was only natural. In fact, the power of this world, the kingdom of this world is so strong, it has so much play on our lives, that we need redemption. God came to us in Christ Jesus, listen to the language of the Bible. 
He paid the price. He died on the cross. The price has been paid. He entered into the pit of hell. He died. He rose again, defeating the powers of death. He is victorious. In other words, it's not God just saying, don't worry about it, it's natural. It's God entering into the sin, defeating it by the resurrection, and therefore we are participating in this power through faith. So it's, it's redemption. It is liberation. It is us participating in the power of the Almighty God. So we have God's relationship with us and we're responding. We have redemption, in other words, participating in the power of God, and we have reorientation. That's what the kingdom is about, the third R word, that our entire life is reoriented. The way we think, doctrine, the way we live, rules, our relationship under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we completely reorient our lives in the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get to the crux of the matter. You know what the word crux is from? Cross. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's get to the focus. That Christianity, remember we're talking about basics, fundamentals today, that Christianity is not simply another good idea that we put on the bookshelf of good ideas. Christianity is not just another alternative lifestyle among all kinds of lifestyles that are healthy. Please hear me. I'm not opposed to good ideas. I'm not opposed to healthy lifestyles. But Christianity is the way and the truth and the life. And it's not that we're simply buying into another idea. It's that we have been bought. You see, the reality is, and how I began, is that sometimes we get this confused in church. That in church, sometimes what we think we need to do is sell the things of the church. We need to promote the things of the kingdom. Now listen, I, I can do that as well as anybody. I can promote and sell our youth club. we got a great youth club. I'll put our after-school program up against anything. we got a great cause, teen program. we got a great music program. we got VBS program. we got camp and all these things, we sell, we promote, it's a good idea, but in order to sell something or even to promote something, you need to either own it or control it. For example, I got a watch on. I'll sell it to you. Really, I'll sell it to you. I bought it for $40. Today, I'll sell it to you for $30 because you're good people. It's a great watch, I'll tell you what. It's a, it's a Timex, tells great time. It has all kinds of functions. I can look, you know, like, here's my last 5K time. It has a, an alarm that I put on it. It has little light. It says on it, it says, right, you can't see that, but I'll tell you what. Do you ever have those days um, when you just, like, you feel like such a loser, like everything is wrong? Do you have the, I have those days a lot. But if you buy my watch, it says right there, Iron Man. <laughs> so I just have to look at the time. Boom. I'm not a loser. I am an Iron Man. And there you go. So I can sell you my watch because I own the watch. But I can't sell you the kingdom of God. I can't even promote the kingdom of God because I don't own it and I don't control it. Listen to the language of the Bible. The language of the Bible is 
you have been bought with a price. That in fact, we are the products that have been purchased back into the kingdom of God. And listen to the language that Jesus uses. Jesus does not say that you should wait, you will be sent the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you'll go out into the world to be my sales representatives. What does he say? You are to be my witnesses. And a witness is somebody who simply points to the reality that they know to be true. We are pointing to the reality of Jesus Christ and his way and his life and his redemption upon our lives. We are the ones who have been purchased. We have been bought with a price. We are God's. We are called. Nothing can separate us. So, how do we do that? Well, let me come up with an acronym because I have low self-esteem, loser, and I need to do this to make myself feel good. Child, it's Children's Sunday. How do we understand what it means to be a witness? Five things, C-H-I-L-D, that's the acronym. One, church. The primary function of the church is to bear witness to Jesus Christ. I sometimes think I get magazines and emails from people just to give me illustrations. So it happened this week again. I got a magazine from a certain denomination. <laughs> and front, you know the front, they always have the letter from the editor. The front story said, the primary purpose of the church is to gather people together in fellowship. I closed that magazine, I wept, but then I looked at my watch and thought, hey, I'm an Iron Man. I'm not gonna... The primary function of the church is to gather people together? No, no, that's the Elks, that's the Moose, that's fine groups. The primary purpose of the church is to bear witness to Jesus Christ. There is no other reason. If a fellowship is involved, youth group is involved, great. We bear witness to Jesus Christ. The church's function, all of history, the H, bears witness to Jesus Christ. The prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, the apostles, St. Peter and St. Paul and St. Barnabas, and all of history, St. Francis and St. Augustine before him and Martin Luther and all, bear witness to Jesus Christ, the church and history and I, that's the I word. I am to bear witness, and you are. That's what our lives are about, to focus our lives and everything that we do on, on the reality and the love and the purposes of Jesus Christ, church and history and I, and ah, little things, the little things. Can I tell one more story? I'm almost done. So I'm doing a run in, in uh, Finger Lakes Woods. Have you ever gone on the trails in Finger Lakes? It's a great, quiet, beautiful place. And so I was doing a, a trail run through there. And, um, and so I stopped in the, in the trail, and I looked up, and it was a beautiful day. And I, I looked at the big trees all around, and I thought, oh, this is a great illustration. You know, you got to, preachers find illustrations everywhere. A mighty power of God. And then I looked down, and I saw right next to the trail was one wee little tiny purple flower. And the purple flower is kind of covered in, in uh, a green foliage, which was everywhere. And then I, and I looked around, and what I saw was that the entire forest floor was covered, just covered in little purple flowers. The more you see, the more you see. Do you understand that? The more you see Jesus, the more you see Jesus. And the more the little things are seen as signs of the love of God. 
church history, I am meant to bear witness, the little things everywhere bear witness to Jesus Christ, and finally D, dare, dare, dare we live such a life that everything we do and everything we speak and the way we live and the way we focus our lives, everything about who we are is a witness to Jesus Christ and his love and his lordship. You see, the reality is we have nothing to sell. We are the ones who have been purchased. We have been bought with a price. And our task is to bear witness to the beauty, and the love, and the grace, and the kind tenderness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you have bought us at a price. We are yours. You have called us. We are a chosen people. We give you thanks that we have been called to the high privilege of witnessing to your love and your grace. Give us, Lord, this courage, this grace, to be your people in this broken world. In Jesus' name, amen.